The SBA unveiled its Payroll Protection Program, also known as PPP, loan forgiveness application on Friday, May 15th. While there are still questions remaining, there is significant guidance that comes from this application. Welcome to the Accounting Tips for Entrepreneurs podcast. My name is Jeff Skolnick and I am a CPA with 35 years of experience working with small business owners, entrepreneurs, and network marketers on how to make their business more successful by understanding how taxes can work in their favor and not hurt their business. Each and every week I'm going to come to you with short, quick, and helpful tips on not only how to make sure you are doing everything possible to minimize your income tax liability, but also how to create the income for your business that you truly deserve. As I mentioned in the opening, the SBA unveiled its Paycheck Protection Program Loan Forgiveness Application, man, that's a mouthful, on Friday, May 15th. While there are still some questions remaining, there is significant guidance that comes from this application. So the first question I want to address is um, what a lot of people had. In order to obtain forgiveness, do payroll costs need to be 75% of the proceeds borrowed or 75% of the proceeds expended? Well, here, luckily, we start off with some great news. A lot of people thought that if you didn't take at least 75% of the loan proceeds in payroll costs, that you would have none of the loan forgiven. And fortunately, um, the application explains that this is not so. So I'm going to go through this. 75% is based upon funds expended, not received. So we know this based on the application itself. The section headed potential forgiveness amounts has three separate lines and forgiveness is given to the smallest line. So I'm going to give you some assumptions to start off with because I want to use an example to explain this. And in the example, I'm going to assume that the small business owner received a $25,000 loan. Further going to assume that payroll costs were $15,000 and rent and utilities were $3,000. And again, this is all during the covered period. And let's just assume it's the next eight weeks after the money was received. So the last assumption I want to make is that the small business maintain the same number of full-time equivalent employees before and after receiving PPP funds. Okay, the reason that I want to do this is uh, if your headcount re- is reduced, a full-time equivalent, that will affect the calculation. Right now, um, that becomes you know very complicated. I'm trying to keep it as simple as possible to explain what the rules are. Okay, so the three lines that you see under potential forgiveness, and again, I'm going to give you the line numbers, and that means when I give you a line number, it means that's the line number on the actual application. So line eight is called modified total. Okay, and this is basically just a total of the expenses. The reason it says modified is, again, there are modifications that can come in based on the headcount going down, full-time equivalent, or uh, if there was a big pay reduction. So in other words, let's say you had a more expensive employee um, that left and you replaced them with someone cheaper. That could be a substantial salary reduction. So I'm not going to get into any of that, but 
So line eight, for the purposes of our example, is just simply going to be the payroll costs, in our example, $15,000, plus the rent and utilities, in our example, again, $3,000. So line eight, for us, is going to be $18,000. Line nine, the PPP loan amount, right, this is going to be the maximum, this is going to be the total proceeds that was received by the small business. Again, in our example, $25,000. Then line 10 is called payroll cost 75% requirement. So what you need to do is take the payroll cost, again, in our example, $15,000, divide it by 0.75, and we come up with $20,000. This calculation is done to ensure that payroll cost is at least 75% of the amount that you're trying to have forgiven. So again, just to go over what, what we have now, these, these items tell us, these lines tell us three things. We have the actual costs, which is line eight, $18,000. We have the maximum amount of the loan that could be forgiven, uh, which is line nine, that's $25,000. That's actually the total amount of the loan we have we received. Obviously, you can't have more forgiven than you received. And then the third line, line 10, just ensures that we, if we look at the $15,000 payroll, we know that if we have a $15,000 payroll, and payroll has to be at least seventy-five percent of the amount forgiven we know that the most um the highest amount of loan forgiveness that this individual can receive is twenty thousand dollars because again if payroll is fifteen thousand dollars has to be at least seventy five percent that means non-payroll costs cannot exceed five thousand dollars so based on numbers that i've given you in the example line eight would be eighteen thousand line nine would be twenty five thousand line ten would be twenty thousand we would use $18,000 as the amount forgiven. Again, remember, we have to take the smallest of these three numbers. So let me just show you what would happen, uh, how the line 10 um, calculation would come into play. If I slightly change the facts and just instead of saying that there was only $3,000 for rent and utilities, let's say it was $6,000. Now let's go back and do this again. Line eight, which would be our expenses, would now be $21,000. It would be our loan pros. It would be our payroll cost of fifteen thousand dollars, plus six thousand dollars of rent and utilities. So now we'd be at twenty-one thousand dollars. Line nine again, PPP loan amount. Again, this is the total amount of proceeds. This would still be twenty-five thousand dollars, right? So we're good there. Now line ten again takes our payroll of fifteen thousand dollars, divides it by 0.75, and we have twenty thousand dollars, right? That doesn't change. So. In our second example, we have line eight is $21,000. Line nine is $25,000, right? That's our all our total proceeds. Line 10 is 20,000. So what does that mean? What it means is that even though we incurred $6,000 of rent and utilities, because payroll has to be 75% of the amount forgiven, we are limited to $5,000 of non-payroll expenses. So therefore, even though we received, even though we paid $6,000 of non-payroll expenses, we're limited to 5,000. And therefore, we in the second example, we don't use the line eight amount of $21,000. We use the line 10 amount of $20,000. Okay, second question. You know, I mentioned this eight-week clock that begins running. When does this eight-week clock start running? And the eight-week clock begins to run the day the funds are received by the small business owner, um, uh, the day that they receive the PPP loan proceeds. Now, the form does allow small business owners to use what they call an alternative payroll covered period date. 
and I'm going to explain it. This date is, is defined on the application, which I'm going to now read you what, exactly what it says from the application. It says the alternative payroll covered period for administrative convenience, borrowers with a biweekly or more frequent payroll schedule may elect to calculate eligible payroll costs using the eight-week period that begins on the first day of their first pay period following their PPP loan disbursement date. And this is known as the alternative payroll covered period. Uh, and I know that sounds a little bit confusing, but luckily they give you an example. Now, you got to keep in mind, the reason they're doing this is they're saying, if you get if you get the money on a particular day, instead of making you change your payroll cycle and start a pay period beginning the day that you get your money, they're saying as long as you pay um, bi-weekly or more frequently, you're allowed to start that eight-week clock running when your next payroll cycle begins. So the example they give is, let's say the borrower received PPP loan proceeds on Monday, April 20th. And the first day of its first pay period following its PPP loan disbursement is Sunday, April 26th. The first day of the alternative payroll uh, covered period is now April 26th. And the last day of the alternative payroll covered period is Saturday, June 20th. So the application does not extend this alternative covered period to rent, utilities, or mortgage interest. Those must be incurred during the covered period. And again, the covered period is the eight weeks beginning the day of the small business receive the PPP proceeds. So remember, even though payroll is allowed a different period, that's not actually called a covered period. That's called an alternative payroll covered period. Now, the application also goes on to state that all eligible costs whether payroll or non-payroll may be forgiven even if not paid during the covered alternative covered period if they are paid before the next billing date Uh, and I'm explaining what that means so let's say an example that I came up with that that they mentioned you get the money on April 20th your pay period starts on April 26th and ends on June 20th that last pay period Let's say you don't actually give the employees uh, the money till five days after June 20th. What the rule is saying here is as long as it's before the next paycheck is due, that's going to be allowed as a deduction. And what they say as far as rent and utilities is as long as that's paid before the next billing cycle, again, before the next bill comes due, same thing. So they kind of are allowed, they're allowing you to accrue a, a little bit here. So that's good news because otherwise it gets a little bit complicated with with trying to make sure everything's paid within 56 days obviously it gets a little hairy now if you are a company that pays people either uh, twice a month or let's say once a month i know i don't think there's a lot of companies that do this anymore but i i, I have seen some that have done this over the years then i think you're gonna have to probably change your system a little bit and 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 do something because again this only talks about people that do bi-weekly or more frequently okay next question is do schedule c filers or partners need to take actual checks to qualify for forgiveness and the question that really is being asked here is if you're a schedule c filer for instance i'm a schedule c uh for my business i typically do not write checks to myself What I normally do is if I have something that I want to pay personally, I would just either write a check out of my business or I charge it on my credit card. And then what would happen is when I write a check that's for a personal item, instead of 
instead of um, coding it to a business expense, I just simply code it to owner's draw in my company. Same with a credit card. If I break down my credit card expenses into, let's say, 10 different categories, let's say I, I have computer charges, let's say I have transportation, let's say I have dues and subscriptions, whatever it is, and then let's say I have a personal expense, what I'll do is the personal expense portion, I would just code it to my draw account. And then the way my taxable income is figured is I take all of the income I received, right? That's obviously taxable income coming in. And I take all the business deductions against it. And then whatever is left over is what I pay tax on. The fact that I may have taken some other money and put it to personal items, they would not be deducted. So in other words, they would not reduce my taxable income. But again, very rarely do I write myself a check, put it in another account, and then pay a personal expense. So that question came up or do Schedule C filers actually have to pay themselves with PPP funds? In other words, write a check and put it into another account or do something with it, uh, same applying to partners and partnerships, or can they simply just do what I just described to you? Now, uh, while it's not 100% clear, um, it looks like the safest avenue for sure is to have these people write checks to themselves. And, and the reason we know this is on the application, Again, this comes right from the application. It says, enter any amounts paid to owners. Again, any amounts paid to owners. And in parentheses, owner-employees, a self-employed individual, or general partners. So again, there it mentions any amounts paid to owners. It doesn't say expenses paid on behalf. So I think you have to kind of do this. And then it says this amount is capped at 15385 That's the eight-week equivalent of $100,000 per year. Again, right, 100000 divided by 52 multiplied by eight weeks. Okay, so the 15, so it's capped at 15,385 for each individual or the eight week equivalent of their ap applicable compensation in 2019, whichever is lower. So please note that the other thing that we get out of this um, explanation is that compensation is limited to 850 seconds of 2019 compensation for owners. So in other words, if your 2019 Schedule C shows $52,000, then you can only pay yourself $8,000 during the eight-week covered period. So there's no raise allowed for the boss. So now the question that I still have is, can a Schedule C filer either hire additional individuals or give bonuses to existing staff to obtain greater forgiveness? So I want to look at another example, all right? Let's say I have a Schedule C filer that made $78,000 in 2019 and has two employees that each made $26,000 in 2019. So this individual will receive pay of $12,000, right? If we take the $78,000, divide it by 52 and multiply it by eight, and his or her employees were paid $8,000, right? They would each receive $500 per week. So between the two of them, it's $1,000 per week times eight weeks. So it's $8,000. So I'm also going to assume that the small business owner received $27,000 in loan proceeds and had no rent, utilities, or mortgage interest. So forgiveness would be available for the $12,000 of Schedule C earnings and the $8,000 of employee earnings, right? So we know $20,000, if we go back to what we had just talked about previously, we know that $20,000 is eligible for forgiveness. But what about the $7,000 that's left over? Can we bonus the $7,000 to the employees? We know that the owners can increase their compensation, right? I just went over that. But 
there's nothing that's said about employees. Um, so can we give them a bonus? And if bonuses are allowed, is there a limit? In other words, is there a percentage? These, these individuals are earning $500 a week. I mean, and they only earn $26,000 a piece for 2019. Can you bonus them another $3,500 each instead of paying it back to the SBA? Is there some type of a percentage that you can only pay them up to a certain amount in bonus? And how about hiring people um, to have more payroll? And what about related parties? In other words, can a Schedule C filer hire his or her child and pay them payroll? Uh, or do IRS rules, there's certain rules of attribution in the code uh, where uh, even where related parties are, are counted as one person. So in other words, if uh, let's say a woman owns 100% of a corporation stock, if she's married, her husband is also considered to own 100% of that corporation. Same goes with with parents and same goes with, with children. And there are some slightly different attribution rules in the code depending on what section we're talking about. So I don't know, again, whether this is allowed. It would be nice if this was addressed going forward because, you know, you're going to have people that are going to want to know whether they can, again, either bonus existing employees rather than paying it back. And, and the reason that that becomes a very real possibility is you have to remember a lot of people, um, and I've seen this in a lot of situations, a lot of people go to hire their employees back when they get their PPP funds, and the employees were making more money on unemployment than they were making when they were working, so they're not happy about coming back. Some of this pain could be alleviated if the business owners were allowed to give them a bonus. So again, but you don't want to run afoul of the PPP rules and, and wind up getting in trouble for doing something. So again, that would be something that would be nice to know. Now, I did mention the reduction based on full-time equivalents, uh, full-time equivalent uh, employees. So I'm going to go over real quickly what the full-time equivalent formula is. Um, to receive full forgiveness... Small business owners must maintain the same number of full-time equivalent, and you'll see FTE, employees as before PPP proceeds were received. So a simplified method was introduced, which allows workers to be classified as full-time that work 40 or more hours, right? They're classified as 1.0 FTE, and anyone else, so anyone who worked less than 40 hours, as 0.5 FTEs. Now, if small business owners prefer, they may calculate their FTE by taking the average number of hours each employee worked and dividing it by 40. So in other words, instead of saying that somebody worked 37 out of 40 hours is only worth 0.5, you can actually do the math, figure 37 divided by 40, uh, you know, and, and obviously that would be a much greater amount. So you can really do it either way, whichever one winds up being more beneficial to you, either the, either the simplified method using 1.0 or 0.5 for each employee, or doing the actual method, which is obviously going to be a lot more complicated, unless one, you're using a payroll service, which will obviously do that calculation for you, or unless you just, I mean, again, if it's worth the time and effort for you, maybe you figure it out yourself. Um, I spoke to a woman who told me she's got this long involved sheet where she does track all of this information. So you have the option of doing either one. Just wanted to point that out. Now, the last thing that I really wanted to go over here was 
Um, some of these non-payroll costs were also defined on the application, and I want to go over what the application says. Again, this comes strictly from the applications. Eligible non-payroll costs. Non-payroll costs eligible for forgiveness consist of A. Covered mortgage obligations. These are payments of interest, not including any prepayment or payment of principal on any business mortgage obligation on real or personal property incurred before May 15th, 2020. B, covered rent obligations. This is business rent or lease payments pursuant to lease agreements for real or personal property enforced before May 15th of 2020. So again, this would include uh, not only rental for facilities, uh, but also lease payments on equipment, possibly cars, uh, all, all kinds of things like that. So that's finally defined there. And then covered utility payments. These would be business payments for a service for the distribution of electricity, gas, water, transportation utility, telephone, or internet access, for which service began before February 15th of 2020. All non-payroll costs must be paid during the covered period or incurred during the covered period and paid on or before the next regular billing date. Again, that's what I mentioned earlier is that even if it's, if it's incurred during the covered period, even if it's paid slightly outside of the covered period, it's going to be allowed. Okay. Eligible non-payroll costs cannot exceed 25% of the total forgiveness amount. Count non-payroll costs that were both paid and incurred only once. So again, this section, the reason I went over this was just to sort of give a little more clarity as to what is considered rent obligations and what are considered utility payments. Again, you're not going to have a lot of mortgage interest, you know, unless you have a client that, that actually owns their own building that they use for business purposes. They're not talking about personal home mortgages. Now, I, I will say uh, I have been surprised that the guidance on forgiveness has been slow coming. But I believe that uh, what's shown on the application is only the beginning. Um, there's, I think, a bunch of other things that may come about. I know that there were 19 senators that have, um, have gone to Treasury Secretary Mnuchin and asked him to um, consider uh, expenses paid with PP funds to become deductible. Uh, and just in case anybody missed it, the IRS had ruled that since... Um, since the forgiven amount of uh, PPP funds is considered non-taxable, again, normally when you have debt that's extinguished, that would be considered taxable income unless there's an exception in the Internal Revenue Code. Well, the Internal Revenue Code, code does give an exception to loan forgiveness from PPP funds. So the IRS interpreted this to say, since the money coming in is not taxable, any expenses paid with these funds, in other words, payroll or non-payroll costs, would be considered non-deductible. And what happened was there was 19 senators, again, 11 Democrats and eight Republicans, not as worried about the total number as, as the fact that there's a lot of bipartisan support. That's, it's not 18 and one or 17 and two, is there's bipartisan support. And what basically what these senators said to Steve Mnuchin is, that's not what we intended because pretty much if that's what we intended, you could have left the forgiveness as taxable income because you would have had taxable income, but you would have allowed the deductions. And that's really, that nets to the same thing as saying, 
that the income is not includable at income, but the deductions or, or the money used to, uh, the expenses used to pay, uh, paid by the proceeds are not deductible, that basically comes out to the same thing. They said that's not what they intended. So uh, that was about two weeks ago that they had sent the letter to Secretary Mnuchin. I have not heard anything yet, but I think you're gonna, I, I think there's a good chance you might see something with that. Also, um, I just recently read that uh, President Trump and Steve Mnuchin are, are seriously considering extending that eight-week window um, a little bit further out. Um, I know restaurants have asked for up to 24 weeks. I'm not sure they're going to go that far, but in other words, they, they think that this eight-week window is tight, especially since a lot of businesses are not even open yet. So I do think there's a lot more to come, and I will certainly keep you guys updated. Thanks again for listening to the Accounting Tips for Entrepreneurs podcast. If you could please head over to Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or Spotify and leave me a five-star rating and write a review. Also, please connect with me on social media. If there are any tax or accounting-related topics you would like me to cover, please don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. If you are that small business owner or entrepreneur that really wants to learn more about how to minimize your tax liability and maximize your income, just head over to www.jeffcpaworld.com and I'll see you over there. Have a great day.